All right, and we are back for another week of podcasting shenanigans. I'm joined by the usual suspects, Mr. Daniel Weber and Nick Ruth. Dan, how are you doing? Good, brother. I always, I'm looking forward to when we don't become the, the usual suspects, where we become the abnormal suspects that have abnormal viewpoints and make life a little bit more interesting. You know, we'll get their baby steps, as we like to say. And of course, Nick Ruth and 17,000 words later in his summary analysis for this week. How are you doing? I will be doing much better in four outs, but it's only three pages and 1,400 words this time for my summary for this week. Well, you know, that's better than usual, I guess. So um, this was a pretty busy week for our league. Um, Pretty exciting week scoring-wise across the board. Um, But the big headlines were obviously the trades. We saw four, one, I'd say, blockbuster go down, and then three other just pretty solid ones. But regardless, four trades in one week is quite, you know, a lot for this league. Um, So I think we would start the podcast out obviously talking about each of them and kind of recapping them and giving some of our general thoughts on these trades. Um, Let's just start them off in order. And, of course, the first one up was the biggest blockbuster that we've seen in the league in a few weeks at least. Um, and that involved Jer and Steve. Uh, Jer sent Le'Veon Bell and a 21 fourth rounder to Steve for Marlon Mack. Steve's 21 first and 21 second round picks. Uh, does anyone want to jump in immediately with their shining thoughts on this move? Yeah, I'll go in. Oh, okay. You just hit Molina. Um, so... Great trade for both teams. Sauce gets a much-needed upgrade just out of sheer volume standpoint. I think it's a win-now move in a division that's (laughs) getting two points is tough. Getting a win there is not easy. So it's a move. Mac has been great, no denying that. But the sheer workload Bell gets, and with Darnold back, I think it's a great move. You know, Jair gets younger. Um, I guess Steve also gets a fourth-round pick, but my trade calculator doesn't even consider 21 fourths, so it's a tag-on for me. He gets a, gets younger, and he gets a first round and a second round for 21. I think it's a fantastic move. Both teams win now and rebuild. I love the trade. Yeah, I, I think it's a super, super fun trade as well. Le'Veon Bell, there's no denying the workload. He got signed on to be the Bell Cow back, and that's going to make a, a big bit of difference when you get the volume piece to it. But Martin Mack's the man down in Indianapolis, and if he can stay healthy, that's going to be a fun one. And now Jerry gets the, the luxury of getting a first-round draft pick and another second-round draft pick. Granted, it's not next year, but the year after. Um, but, again, running back for running back, I don't th- I see Jerry winning this trade. I think, I think yeah, the, the fourth round's irrelevant. I completely get that. But Mac for Bell, you're, you're arguably losing, what, maybe eight touches a game? You're losing but, a lot of catches. Yeah, uh, a lot of catches. Not disagreeing with any part of that, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I also look at it, too, as would you rather be the running back for the New York Jets or would you rather be the running back for the Indianapolis Colts, understanding that the volume might be a little bit different? I think you're better off being the running back for the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts have the line, I'll give you that, but the Darnold effect. The Jets were a completely different team this week. I love Sam Darnold. But at the end of the day, you don't think Jacoby Brissett's going to be able to do what Sam Darnold does? No. (laughs) That's (laughs) pretty blunt. Darnold is a prodigy. Like He has been, since he got uh, recruited at USC, Darnold has been the golden boy. He is what the kid at Clemson is. 
I feel like your bias is showing a tad. Oh, 100% bias. I'm Pac-12 bias, 100%. You've been all in. Darnold is a darling. He's been a darling since he was in high school. He was one of the top recruits in the country, and he lived up to expectation in college. He got hurt his senior year, or his junior year, which didn't help. Ruined his season, ruined USC's hype, but the kid can do any throw on the field. I love him. And I think that offense is going to be unbelievable in the next few years. All right. Well, I'm glad you love Sam Darnold, but let's get back to the trade. Um, here's my thoughts on it for anyone that cares. I, okay, from Steve's perspective, just like in a vacuum, I would take, you know, Le'Veon Bell over Marlon Mack for this season for, you know, trying to get to the playoffs, make the playoffs, all that stuff. But would I take him over Marlon Mack at the cost of a first round draft pick and a second round draft pick? That I'm not sure about. I feel like in redraft rankings, you know, which is your year-to-year fantasy football, I don't think, I think Bell is certainly better than Marlon Mack, but I'm not sure it's this gigantic chasm. It's certainly a difference, and in that stack division, that could end up being the difference between making the playoffs and not. But for a dynasty league, I don't know if I see a difference in Marlon Mack um, and Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell's, you know, a little bit older than Marlon Mack, I think by, what, three years? And Marlon Mack, I know he's kind of had that boogeyman, like, oh, he's going to re- be replaced. He's not going to be the guy. But the Colts keep sticking with him. I mean, maybe that philosophy change with will change with Jacoby Brissett around and that Andrew Luck. Maybe they want to go more towards a power run and run approach that we see like teams like the 49ers doing. Maybe that could happen, and maybe they'll draft a running back next year. But I just really like Marlon Mack, and I think for Jerry, this is a great move. You know, I don't think he loses much at the running back position, but he picks up one great asset in a first-round draft pick and a second-rounder that, you know, chances are he's going to be able to get something or he could leverage that for maybe another player at some point. So I really like it for Jerry. For Steve, it's I get it, but I just think it was an aggressive overpay for a chance that he's not even like locked in the playoffs. It's not like he's making this move in like middle of November when playoffs are around the corner. So that's, that's the only reason I'm not sure about it for Steve, but um, for those of you less classy and sophisticated individuals, chasm means a difference between people, viewpoints and feelings. So Zane and, and Stefan, I've got you covered on the dictionary diversion there. <laughs> Thank you. We have a lot of people that need those clarifications. Yeah, We need small words. My, my apologies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I really think Jerry takes it, you know, hands down. I mean, I'm curious, you know, Nick, you obviously really like Le'Veon Bell. I mean, is Le'Veon Bell like that much ahead of Marlon Mack in your mind? Or like, where do you see the difference between like this, like just the difference giving I up a see first is pass pick? catching. Naheem but, Hines. Like, well, backtrack. Okay. Uh, not like okay but i mean like what does that do on a value standpoint like not a value in a production standpoint like are you talking like i'm talking Marlon mid Mac- running back one to a high running back two, low running back one it's not great but Le'Veon bell will consistently get probably five catches a week catches are inherently worth more points because you get a point per mm-hmm. and there's a higher chance of more yards than running so a catch's value is higher than a run's value. Of course. And you're getting five plus a week over Mac, I would, I would say. I mean, with Herndon coming back, we don't know. But 
that's just been Bell's MO. And I think that is a huge part. PPR running backs are great. You don't see too many three down backs that are the workhorse. You have Zeke, you have Bell, you have Chubbish. We don't know with Kareem coming back. Mm-hmm. You have Gordon-ish. I mean, there's not many. And to get a workhorse like that is, for a team that is in that tough of a division, that's making the push, and it seems like the consensus among us is probably the best roster in that division, and he's playing catch-up, you got to go all in, and I love the move. I'm curious, and I'll throw this up for both you guys, does Steve have to make the playoffs to justify this trade in your mind, or is it just standalone, like this is good value, you couldn't pass it up? A thousand percent's got to make the playoffs for this. No, it doesn't matter this year. He, it's 2021. Uh, you, you blow a first-round pick. I, I don't care if it's not this year or next year. You need to make the playoffs if you're going to put that kind of investment in this piece. This is a win-now piece. If you're not going to do this, why do you like, – you don't even have the chance to blow your shit up. Um to do any part of this or acquire an additional piece to make you contending in next year. You lose that functionality. Ish, but if he doesn't make the playoffs, it doesn't make his trade worse in my eyes because his 21 pick isn't affected by him not making the playoffs this year. If he doesn't make the playoffs next year, sure, hindsight's always 2020. But if he doesn't make it this year, eh, he didn't, I don't know. I think... Yeah, I think with Darnold, again with my Darnold bias, but he Bell missed Darnold a lot. And that whole you, offense was Darnold. You, I was gonna say that honest. offense was insane, yeah. comparatively to what they were. And Bell with Darnold, I think, is going to be fantastic. And if he doesn't make it this year, it's because he got him late. Steve started in a hole. The dude's points against is absurd. He's the highest scoring, I think, besides Nick in the league for points for. Yep. So. He's just had shitty luck, and now you got a piece that can right the ship and but I guess hopefully here's... not the shitty luck. Okay, to play devil's advocate a little bit, he's definitely scored a lot of points, but is this the best use of his asset? Should he have maybe been looking at a quarterback? You know, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston are not the best one-two punch after Matt Ryan, who's a stud. Would that have maybe been a better use of assets? Maybe, but quarterbacks are fucking expensive, dude. I mean, yep. Jameis Winston, oh, I don't have the ranking. I mean, Jameis Winston's a great fantasy quarterback because he just fucking airs it out, man. Dalton's playing a lot of garbage time. They're not terrible fantasy quarterbacks, but I want him to writing my franchise, no. But he's also got the quarterback three or quarterback two, I think, in Matty Ice. Mm-hmm. He's in not in bad shape, and I think I like. I don't know. I'm. I guess I'm just sold. I love this move okay. for both teams. All right, so it's pretty win-win for you. You don't have like a clear winner, Nick. No, I mean, I'm trying to get away from the whole winning trades. I feel like okay. that's hindering me a lot, is because I'm constantly trying to win a trade, so I don't do the moves I should. Okay. So maybe that's just a philosophy change for me. But I think this is probably the best example of a true win-win. All right, fair enough. I'm going to give the edge to Jerry just because I think he got a running back that is a marginal downgrade from the running back he gave up, and he acquired some two high-round high, high draft picks, albeit two years down the road. Um, and just to, for a fact-check portion, because this is what I get to do when I sit on you waiting for 
talking. Um, Matt Ryan's the fifth-ranked quarterback right now, and um, Steve is the second or th- I'm sorry, third overall in average points scored, um, and second as far as most points or third as far as most points scored against him. Um, so just a little bit of extra pieces to it. So he is climbing out of a gap. Thanks, Statboy. I appreciate your efforts. All right. (laughs) Let's move on to another trade. That's trade number two. Uh, Jerry was a madman this week, uh, and he was involved in this deal. Jerry gave up David Njoku and a 2020 fourth-round draft pick to Stefan, and Stefan gave up Tony Pollard, Jimmy Graham, a 21 second rounder and a 23rd rounder, which is Jerry's pick. Should have some clarification. Anyone want to jump in on this one with their first initial thoughts? Yeah, I'll jump. I'll jump first sure. here. So, I, I, in, in a tight end premium league, it's hard to against argue against a guy that is an athletic stud in David and Joku. Now, with that being said. Tony Pollard gives him a handcuff for, for Ezekiel Elliott. And Tony Pollard, each time he's been in there, has actually looked relatively decent. Jimmy Graham, while it's old man Graham, does have fantasy relevancy for as long as Devontae Adams doesn't decide he's going to play football or can't play football with that turf toe. Um, and then getting the two picks, which one of them is, is his coming back, and then, and then getting an additional second rounder. I, I, I'm probably going to be on the counterpoint here, but I like – the pieces that Jerry gets in return for part of this. Um, he gets a handcuff. He has the option to get a little bit younger. Yes, David and Joku probably uh, the fourth round picks are relevant. Uh, again, I, nobody gives a shit about a fourth round pick. And Joku is a is a freak athlete, but can he? Just like in the O.J. Howard situation, can this man understand the game of football and be the stud and the physical capabilities that he has the ability to be? So I'll jump in and go counterpoint. I don't think it's terrible. At the moment it happened, I was certainly on the fence. After trade three, it changed my mind. But we're going to take it as trade two. He gives up death to tight end. Najoku is measurables unbelievable. He was kind of lost in this offense with all the pieces, especially the addition of OBJ. With Kareem Hunt coming back, is that another target that's going to steal his? We don't know. Um... So giving up just the athletic freak hurts. In a tight end premium league, he, Njoku could be fantastic. Tight ends take longer, I feel, to develop. I think Hunt eats into his catches for the record. I mean, and I want to interrupt too. I don't think he was lost in this offense. He played one full game and he caught four balls for 37 yards and a touchdown and then got injured in the second game. He broke his arm. It's a fluke. But to say he looks lost, I mean, he looked like a focal point. I mean, and Mayfield is continuing to target scrubs like Demetrius Harris and Ricky Seals-Jones. So I think he would have actually had a big year. But he, of course, he's missing a few weeks with this injury. And that, of course, you know, some of us are, you know, he drops because of that. So other people are playing. So it's it's human nature. I get it. Okay. I, I'll concede that point. You guys are right. His first week, he was relevant. The offense looks lost. Fair. I think there's I too think. many weapons. They're just trying to go, um, what was it, Philadelphia a few years ago where they said that we're the dream team, just so <laughs> much talent. Yep. I think it's something along those lines, honestly. They have so much freaking talent. They just haven't been able to put it together. So I'll go with I'll go along that line. So I guess you guys are right. I'll concede my point that he looked lost. I'll say the offense looks lost. And 
as of lately, the last two weeks, Ricky Seals-Jones has actually been relevant as a tight end. So maybe the tight end will be relevant. And if it is, it hurts this trade, I think, even more for Jer. But let's go with what Jer got in back. He got arguably the best handcuff in the league. I don't know if you guys want to counterpoint that, but that Tony Power looks amazing, and that's the best offense line in football when healthy. When healthy, yeah, it's hard to argue with that. He's looked very explosive. I agree. So, and he has Zeke, so you have to add that added value. I mean, we said earlier in the year, I think it was, I was talking with you, Nick, maybe in a text, when you traded Henderson, and you're like, well, you have to take into effect that he has Gurley's. So yeah. it's added value in that backup. Yep. So on paper, it may not look good, but with Jer's roster, I see the move. Um, getting Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham's a bag of bones. The guy's not what he was. He's, if he doesn't catch the ball in the end zone, he's not getting to the end zone. I don't necessarily like it, but sadly, he's the highest scoring tight end now on Jer's team. So that may be his starter going forward. You lose youth, you lose ability. Um, he gets his own third back, though. So what everyone's predicting, an early third, maybe 3-2, three, 3-3, three, because three, we all know 3-1's locked up. <laughs> yep. And that third round, it wasn't great. There wasn't, I mean, the talent there was questionable, what you got. So far, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to say one of them's panned out, and that's going to be my Terry McLaurin pick. The rest have been decent depth or backup. We'll see how it goes. But you can get some steals in the third round. I think I'm in another dynasty. Kamara was a third-round pick. So you can get decent picks, especially with how our league is set up and it's delayed after some training camp. It's even bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's a great value back. And then you get a 21 second. So he's collecting those 21 picks. I haven't done too much research out of the top I guess quarterback. We all know Clemson's quarterback. Besides him, I don't know Dick about the 21st, 21 class, so I won't be able to say too much. But pretty much overall, he gives up potential tight end talent. We haven't seen it. Tight ends take a while. It could be great. It could not be. We don't know. But he shores up his Zeke share. He's got that on lock. He's got more darts to throw at a wall for a tight end, perhaps. So... Maybe he gets another Njoku. We don't know. I think for what Jer's trying to do, it makes sense. He shores up that running back of the Dallas, which everyone wants, and gets more darts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said, Nick. I mean, I think at the end of the day, though, I think Stefan probably got the better end of this from my perspective because I think he just gave up a lot of spare change for an asset that I think has a very decent chance of being good. Um, I mean, I really think if he, if Najoku didn't break his arm, he would be a considered, you know, rock solid top 10 tight end. And I don't think Jerry would be considering moving him, but he got injured and now he's fallen from grace a little bit. I get, you know, Tony Pollard. I mean, getting another second rounder and his third back for next year, that's all fine and dandy. But Najoku has a chance to be a difference maker. And at the end of the day, I think Jerry's roster is lacking difference makers. So I think it was close to being a good deal, but I just, I think I get the edge to Stefan because I think he got it, the best asset. 
All right. Any other thoughts before we move on to the next trade? Trade number three, peeps? No, I'm good. Let's keep, let's keep the choo-choo train rolling. All right, choo-choo, motherfuckers. Trade three, Jer graciously decided to not do this one, but I guess another Weber did. Dan and Adam got involved in this trade. Dan sends OJ Howard, and Adam sends Drew Brees and a 21 second round draft pick. And I'll actually want to start with this one because I'm passionate about this one. Um, so I feel like if this trade happened, you know, back in August, maybe there would probably be less of a shock value with it because OJ Howard was, you know, considered maybe a top five, top six tight end in redraft and dynasty. Like the sky was clear skies and range rainbows and all that fun stuff. But, you know, now, two months later, O.J. Howard, even though he looks lost in this offense and Drew Brees is injured, it just doesn't sit right with me for a few reasons. Um, I think the biggest thing that I don't like about this trade is I'm not sure Adam actually got a tight end that's better than Noah Fant for the short term. I think on paper, these are two poster boys of tight ends. You just look, or just players, not tight ends, just players that you look at in the NFL that can be successful. They've got all the traits you want. They've got all the skill set, and they can be those guys. But OJ Howard is clearly just lost or not a part of this Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay offense. And no offense, you know, he's going through typical learning curve, tight end blues. Um, But also, you know, not only that, so I don't think Adam got like a great tight end. He gave up a, or a great current tight end. O.J. Howard could definitely be great at some point. He also gave up a second-round pick. And he helped one of his greatest probably competitors in the D.C. division sure up one of his weakest spots at quarterback in Drew Brees. Um, Brees is obviously out right now, but he's going to be back in the next month or so, I'd imagine. And I think that's just going to be a huge boon to Dan's squad. And I think it actually is going to be helping. This move is going to help Dan more than it's going to help Adam. And I don't know if that's a good recipe for Adam's chances at making the playoffs, which I know he desperately wants to do. So I think Adam paid a premium for a player that right now is in purgatory and likely won't help him this year, all while helping Dan out with charity, pretty much. I mean, I'm half kidding, but... No, it, it makes sense. You know, quarterbacks in a super flex are rough. I gave up a first-round pick for Josh Rosen. I mean, quarterbacks you need. I mean, you're getting a 40-year-old quarterback, so I went with the upside of a young guy, hoping he doesn't get negative points weekly, which he is, and get benched. But quarterbacks are rough. Um, and on top of that, it's the number one team's weakest position in your division that's a rough pill to swallow and you get a, gave up a second which is Sam's second so it's most likely 2.1 assuming he doesn't completely fri- flip the script in 2020 which we'll yeah, get to later I don't foresee no. but you're giving up a lot for a tight end who all right, tight end premium inherently we have a lot more value on tight ends but he's not doing much. There's rumors he's getting trade, which could be a godsend. There's also rumors that the Bears might get him, which could crush his hopes and dreams. So, <laughs> Would it really be worse than his current situation? No. And you and figure that's the sad thing. tight end was one of Dan's better positions, too. He had Hooper. He had Everett. 
Those are uh -huh. two. I mean, Hooper's a top five tight end. Uh, top, he is the he's number one right now. By 28 points, he's the All right, best so tight end in the game. he gave up a third tight end on his roster to shore up his weakest spot. Nick, you have a plethora of tight ends. Waller, Hawkinson. I'm sure I'm missing one more. Who's your other stud? And Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews. And Jared Cook. All right. Would you give up, let's say, I'm going to say Waller's probably your third best. Would you agree? Yeah. To or shore up our running term. back position? Yeah, I definitely would. And between you and me, I, I definitely talked to You've tried. <laughs> on this trade. And he just wasn't having it. And, hey, I get it. You know, we all have our... Um, who we want to move, who we don't want to move. I think from what I could gather, I think Adam's just confident in O.J. Howard, and he's got the talent, but oh yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't think there's that much of a difference between him and Noah Fant in this current situation. Now, if he gets traded to, like you said, Nick, the Bears, I mean, hell, everyone's going to say the Patriots. I mean, if he gets traded to a different team, this situation could change it up. Snap of the fingers, if you heard that. So, I get it, and he definitely has the talent, and like, but I just, I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. And another big piece, like, in the division, I know you've contacted me because my tight end troubles are well-known, well-documented. Yeah. My tight end troubles suck. And you've been trying to do something for McLaurin. I mean, we even had a three-way trade going for a little bit that was a nightmare. But <laughs> because yeah. it's you and you're in my division and the other person, Zane, in my division, I'm gonna be really strict and stiff i'm not gonna help you in my eyes wide receiver is probably your weakest spot and to give you potentially a wide receiver one for the next 10 years for a tight end that is good now no chance in hell i'm gonna ask for a king's ransom if i'm helping you in the long term and with divisions you have to take that into account you're playing these guys twice a year for the foreseeable future plus you have to go against them in the playoffs if I'm helping my opponent, I better get Saquon Barkley for fucking Terry McLaren. <laughs> Easy there, Slicker. I mean, but yes, it, it's a valid point. And I mean, especially in the D.C. division that is like going to be super close with, at least on paper, it looks like five teams will be battling down to like the final week or two for the playoffs. So every advantage you know, is going to count. And I mean, I, I really think at the end of the year, Drew Brees is going to be making an impact on Dan's squad. I'm not sure if O.J. Howard is going to be. Dan, I know you're directly involved in this trade, but... Yeah, so I'll, I'm just going to ask you guys a couple questions then, just to, to do part of this. Uh, sure. Understanding what you've seen out of uh, the fact that Drew Brees got injured, Teddy Bridgewater stepped in. They signed Teddy Bridgewater turned out a bigger contract to stay with, with the Saints versus going over to Miami. Do you think that plays a part into the fact that Drew Brees' contract's coming up? No. Drew Brees can play in New Orleans for the rest of his life. So, so, I, and that, that was the big question about part of this is, is how much is Drew Brees going to continue to play? Understanding that he's turning 40 this year. Uh, the second round pick helps me acquire a little bit of additional younger talent um, as part of this. Now, I'll give you a little insight into, into part of the trade here. Um, so at one point in time, I had actually included Tajay Sharp in, in this trade. And, and who? Said, I was going to say, who is that? <laughs> who? Tajay Sharp? I'm just joking. I know who Tajay Sharp is, but... Oh, it's like a wide receiver three or four for, for one of the worst... Oh, is he, he's not a Titan he's, anymore? No, he's... Isn't he... He's, hold on, let me look at my roster here. Oh, you don't even know what fucking team he's on. 
So let's anyway, just let's, go with that route. I have Tajay Sharp on my roster. That was part of the things that was included. Well, in I know, thing. but you couldn't even tell me what team he was on without pulling up your roster. He's in Tennessee that way, but it was an All additional right. piece that was on there. But but it wasn't, and, and I'm curious because it's just, a, and again, that was additional piece that I had on part of this. Um, I, yeah, I feel good about the trade and everything like that. It helps me shore up a position that I need a little assistance with. I hope that Drew Brees comes back healthy. Um, if it's not week nine, um, then it's week ten. Come or week, yeah, he buys at some point in time in there. But, yeah, I, I mean, I like it. The, the question becomes, is, is OJ going to get traded? Does OJ, when his contract expires, go find a team that actually understands how to throw to the tight end in an offense that takes care of part of it? Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting piece, but I like the, the piece that it helps me win now. So for a fun fact, the buys ended in 66 and came back in 1990. If anyone's wondering, that was a trivia question at my bar trivia tonight. But Drew Brees is 40. He's got one more year on his deal. He can potentially opt out this year for zero cap. The chances of them cutting him for zero cap hit, I'm going to say, are pretty much negative 10%. Easily. If Drew Brees is going to leave New Orleans when he wants to leave New Orleans. It's the Brady scenario. Belichick but has even cut like, people out early his entire career. But Bel it's like, yeah. it's, sorry, it's like times 200 million because Drew Brees is like, Quite literally, a saint in New Orleans. He Which is funny, because no did you yeah. see the thing Sunday about, uh, I think it was Pope Benedict? Oh, yeah, Pope Francis. Yeah. Pope Francis. Yeah. Yeah, that was so that ties into him being... I agree. He brought a Super Bowl to them after Katrina. That guy is the savior of New Orleans. He will leave when he wants to leave. He can Ponzi scheme them all to death with his miracle water. I give him like a couple years, maybe... If they go I mean, high this year, maybe he go, calls it. But I was going to say I think he he's could, got a year or two. Easy. I was going to say he could very easily retire this year. I mean, he's at that point in his career. He could retire this year. He could retire in three years so, because he tries to pull a Brett Favre. Yeah, so but, let's play that situation then. So Drew Brees retires at the end of this year. Where your do, does your stance change any from where it sits right now? No. no. I don't think I mean, OJ Howard was worth that. I I go back. Maybe my trade my. Maybe my my trade now in hindsight is terrible. Josh Rosen for a first round, but that's what quarterbacks go for. Quarterbacks are such a premium in this format that, especially someone who's weak at quarterback in my division, even if he retires this year, it gives you help this year, gets you the ship. I know in franchise we all look to the future. You want to be good for the next five six years, but you want to win the championship. These moves win championships, and they win them now. If you win this year, it pays for your buy-in for the next six years. So you just need to win once to be relevant for six years and still be in the green. So if he retires this year, that's fine, but he's still going to be a top 15 quarterback, I think is what we established or said, and I'll run yeah. with it. He's going to be a high end, or low-end quarterback one, high-end quarterback two, and that will win a championship. Yeah, I mean, I don't think if he retires this year, I mean, obviously that's a kick in the pants for you. But at the end of the day, like quarterback is just such a weak spot for you with all due respect. I mean, Kirk Cousins, he maybe he's rebounding. I don't know. Josh Allen is just a, such a wild card. I mean, if you add Drew Brees and you can spot start Josh Allen and Kirk Cousins, you know, against the matchups, I mean, that's huge for your team rather than playing bipolar games with Josh Allen and Kirk Cousins and getting 70 points combined with them one week and seven the next. I mean, 
it just, I feel like alleviates a headache and makes things easier for you. And, you know, could be the difference between advancing the playoffs and not. So for me, I don't think my opinion would change if Drew Brees did retire after this year. Rock on, man. I appreciate it, guys. Any other questions, Mr. Weber? No, I, I, will, I will be unquestionable questions. Fair enough. All right, last trade, and Jerry and Steve, you know, they did one trade, and they're like, oh, we got to do another one. So we are back with this fourth and final trade for the week. Jer gave up his own 2020 second-round pick, and Steve gave up D.D. Westbrook and Ricky Seals-Jones. Anyone want to start us off on this last one for the week? Yeah, I'll go with it. Um, The way I look at it, you're giving a second-round pick up for D.D. Westbrook. You already traded Njoku. Ricky Seals is his backup, so you're not banking on him being relevant. He's looked good in his limited play with Njoku gone, but that is not a long-term asset for a team that, in the two trades before, did a rebuilding moves. Um, so in essence, you're giving an early 2022nd for D.D. Westbrook. Could you get better talent there in the draft? especially the 2020 draft, most likely. But I get it, and in the grand scheme of things, which I'm sure we'll do an overview of all the trades Jer did and how it, his overall value was, or at least I'd like to, um, it, it doesn't make sense, but I get it. How I do you get of, it if it doesn't make sense? Because D.D. Westbrook is in the same situation as, again, my love for Darnold, Jamison Crowder. The ideal situation, or the ideal, the situation that was coming into the season is Didi and Foles. We saw it all preseason. It was an amazing connection. Everyone was all over Didi for the hype. Foles broke his collarbone. Didi has been irrelevant, possibly flex-worthy, but not really. So if Foles gets his job back, which most of us assume he will with his contract, I see D.D. Westbrook being a 10-plus target a week guy. And in a PPR format, that's great. You look at Weber's team, he's got a lot of those guys who are consistent 10 to 20 points. You need those guys if you want to go and plug in an all-star with some, like a Saquon Barkley. Say you tanked last year. You have a D.D. Westbrook-type player. You plug in Saquon, your team goes up a tier. It doesn't go down because you had DD. It's a great supporting piece, but I, I personally wouldn't give up a 2020 second. But look at the other side. Zay Jones went for a 2020 second. Would I rather have DD than Zay Jones? Absolutely. Zay Jones went for a 2020 second. Yeah, that was my pick. Yeah. So you gotta oh. look at that. I mean, I mean, in the actual rookie draft. In the no, not in the rookie draft. No, no, Kevin traded a twenty twenty second for Zay Jones, straight up. So, it may have been in whatever. Whatever in a dynasty league, Zay Jones were a twenty twenty second. It has a same scoring format minus tight end premium, which is irrelevant in that. So, it's not an ideal pick, but once we do our spotlight. I think these players play a lot of value. You need those kind of players to win. You need the John Browns of the world who are 
aren't going to win you a week, but they're not going to lose you the week either. So, so I don't love it, but I don't hate it. And in the whole picture, I think this trade gives him some value. So you kind of touched on a really good point. You need these players to win. And I agree. I think, you know, a guy like Jamison Crowder, a guy like D.D. Westbrook, you know, these are great guys because ideally if you're contending, these are players that you're going to fill in for bye weeks. Like you have a good enough roster that you don't need to rely on them. But if you're in a pinch, you know, maybe someone's injured, you can plug them in and you can play them. For Jer, this is going to be a starter for him. Like this is where his wide receiver core is at. He's relying on unproven rookies that have shown flashes of stuff but at the end of the day they're not good you know set them and forget fantasy players at this point what my i guess my point is just jerry doesn't have like a good enough roster that you want to be wasting high draft picks on a player that is a flex worthy guy i mean look at like this year i mean again all rookie draft picks aren't equal but Jerry drafted A.J. Brown in the early second round this year. I mean, he basically gave up a very equal equivalent second-round draft pick for D.D. Westbrook. So that just doesn't sit right for me. If you're a contender and you're acquiring someone like D.D. Westbrook or Jamison Crowder, sure. I guess, you know, you might need a spot star. Maybe you're in bye week hell. But I don't, I don't like it from someone in Jerry's position that is just not contending right now in my opinion, and I just, I don't know. I, I don't really like it at all for him, to be honest. I think it's an interesting piece when you look at part of it, because when you look at Cherry's roster, this actually helps his wide receiver position. I mean, I'd start D.D. Westbrook over Jarius, right? I'd start D.D. over Willie Sneed, um, over well, yeah. Hunter Renfro. I, I mean, and I'm not saying that it ends that the ends justify the means, but he gets better with part of this, and, and Jerry's put up weeks where he shows like his team looks like what he's doing, and then he shows up and gets a win without scoring over ninety points or over a hundred points. It's you're bipolar on the opposite ends of the spectrum, and you live and die with your running back pieces. I mean, just not to pick on Jerry this week, but like he hasn't even scored more than one hundred thirty-five points, and and that was just one game. Five other weeks this year he hasn't even broken 120 points so yeah it's going to help him but it's going to help him because the rest of his roster isn't that great or it's underperforming and and small upgrades in in the long term could pay out dividends i'm not justifying the means i definitely think that it wasn't worth the value but on the flip side you get a little bit that goes through and says hey man this is a small improvement in the right direction now i mean (laughs) yeah it's it's pennies to the nickels instead of pennies to the dollar um when you look at it but who knows I mean, at the end of the day, that is fair. I mean, people did like D.D. Westbrook for a reason. He was a post-hype sleeper, if you will. So I get it. I just, it just doesn't sit right for me from where his team's at. I think I would have rather held served and kept the early draft pick next year and, you know, roll the dice that way. But if you really believe in D.D. Westbrook, shoot your shot and get your guy, I guess. Any final thoughts on this one before we wrap up our trade recap extraordinary whatever talk? Trades are fun, man. Gives us a little bit more to talk about. It's always nice to see different people talking and offering some some shit in certain situations, but, you know, hoping and praying that that you find something. At the end of the day, it's always a hope and a prayer. Fantasy football is an educated, 
crapshoot and you hope to do the best with what you can, but a lot of times it's always out of your control. All right, so a new section we're going to implement in the podcast is going to be kind of spotlighting each team and talking about them big picture. Um, Also short term, I think a lot of our discussion in this league for this podcast is more short, short term, but the great thing about Dynasty is that it's year to year. You keep your rosters, you build for the future. A lot of these guys might not be relevant right now, but they could be in the future, or maybe you're acquiring draft picks for potential, you know, younger players down the line it's you're really building like long term and it's not just it's a moving target it's for this year but it's also for the next five years so we wanted to introduce this new topic where we just kind of go through teams and we spotlight them you know short and long term Uh, we're going to start with the bottom of the league and kind of work our way up so we've kind of been poking fun at him at him all year long saying that he's kind of locked in at the number one overall pick but it's really looking that way. Uh, our first team spotlight is going to be American Psycho, Sam Weir. And does anyone want to jump in and with the honors on this one? Yeah, I'll go through the notes I have today. So looking at his roster, we'll go short-term to long-term. So I'll start short-term. Sam, this year you're not winning the league. There's my short-term analysis. Shocker. But okay, Let's expand on that a little bit because Sam's obviously building for the future. You know, oh, yeah, anyone obviously. with brain can see that. But is there maybe trades to be had? Like, is there someone he should be cutting bait with at this point or selling high, selling low on? There's not many people to sell on his team left. Well, I guess let's talk about the most prominent person. So, the most prominent Chris Godwin, easily. He yes. looks unbelievable. He's. Living up to every bit of hype that he came into the season with. That is Sam's cornerstone. That's a piece that he can build his franchise around. Young wide receiver that has a quarterback at the moment. A lot of mocks I'm seeing have the Bucks taking quarterback, but a quarterback on the moment at the moment that is Jay Cutler-esque where my arm's good enough, I can fit the ball anywhere, I will give you the ball. I love that piece. Then you go to Carson Wentz, another phenomenal piece. Pretty much consensus top five dynasty quarterback. Great piece. Amazing to build around. His last piece that I like, I'm going to say, is Christian Kirk. He looks great. He's had some injury issues as of late, but Kyler Murray looks unbelievable. I mean, the dude was the number one pick in two different professional sports, right? Or at least a top five pick? He was, I think, seventh or eighth in Top baseball. ten pick in two sports. Yes. Yes. That is, in its own right, unbelievable. And he's living up to that hype in the NFL. So you have those three pieces. You look at his roster. There is not another piece on his roster that I would start or want to start. I guess you could say MVS, Marquez Veldes-Scantling, Green Bay Packer wide receiver. I'm not sold on. Adams has been gone two weeks. He hasn't looked good. His targets aren't up. Maybe it's the offense. Rodgers has looked shaky. I just I don't like that piece. I'm biased. I traded him away, so I hope he sucks just so I don't look <laughs> stupid. But I just am not sold on that piece anymore. I mean, do you guys, how do you guys feel about MVS? 
do you think I he mean, lives up to it? His numbers just aren't showing it. I mean, wide receivers take a little bit to develop, and we've known Packer wide receivers to take a pretty considerable amount of time to earn Rodgers' trust. I think the reason a lot of people were so excited about Valdis Scantling is last year he seemingly was getting a lot of trust his rookie year, and at least right now it just hasn't translated. I don't know if that falls on Scantling or the fact that this offense as a whole has just looked very, at times, very mediocre outside of its running game. I agree there's reasons to be discouraged, but I don't know if I 100% want to write him off. Definitely some disappointment, but I don't know about if I want to write him off. Scantling has one game with over five receptions, hasn't broken 100 yards yet, has one touchdown, and has one game with double-digit targets. Um, It's an interesting piece. I don't buy it. I don't think that it's a viable player. I don't think it's a viable piece that's going to go with it. And like you said, Rodgers is extremely picky about who he has to trust with and what he throws to. It's too bipolar for me. I'm not a buyer. Yeah, so it sounds like we all have somewhat of agreement that he's not a cornerstone. I guess we could go with that. But like Nick said, wide receivers take a while, and especially in that Packers offense. Adams didn't break out till his, I think, third year. He kind of peaked, or kind of was peaking over the mountaintop. And then the fourth year, wide receiver one, maybe wide receiver two, easily a top five wide receiver. And now considered one of the top three probably wide receivers in dynasty so the chance exists but it just doesn't look good and for a rebuilding team he can take these shots so good on him and what for his sake hope it works out so besides those four i guess i don't like anything the only i feel like i don't know if he's gonna have staying power but i don't even know how you say his first name Auden Tate. Yep, Auden Tate. He looks great. He looks great. He's. We'll see if AJ Green ever comes back. Maybe he'll get traded, but he's a target hog in that depleted wide receiver core for the Bengals. Again, I don't know if he has staying power, but he, I think, is a thing for the rest of this year. Yeah, and that's. Or at least as long as AJ Green's out. That's the key thing you said in that depleted Bengals wide receiver core. John Ross is out, AJ Green's out, and then you have Tyler Boyd. So. In theory, he's that fourth mouth. He could just emerge on the scene and take over. We don't know. He mm-hmm. looks good. The dude's 6'5", I think 250 or 280. The dude is just fucking huge. And he's looked phenomenal. So I do like that piece. That that piece is like a D.D. Westbrook to me. I You need those pieces to win, but you're not so do you super think, excited. Do you think for Sam, is that a piece that he should be looking to sell high on if you were him? I wouldn't because at some point you need to put talent on the field. You need those D.D. Westbrooks. You need those Auden Tates to win. If you keep selling high on everybody, you just keep getting picks. When are you going to get a team? Well, so, I mean, you can sell high and you can still get a player. Like You can. Potentially. But you're going to get a player that has the peak of Auden Tate for Auden Tate. 
So well, if that person doesn't peek, then you just went backwards. I so, guess. I mean, there's a lot of different routes you can go. When I mean sell high, I don't mean sell high for a second round pick. I mean sell high for a trade. Now, if that's a package deal for Ezekiel Elliott, I don't fucking know. But just is he a player that you should build for for the long term or should you maybe try to capitalize now with his value at a certain height that it might not be at a year from now? Well, it's not a piece I'd build around. I mean, I I feel like, like I said, it's one of those filler roles. However, he is 22. It's a kid that, as Sam has roster spots to burn, I'd love for him to burn a spot on my roster to see what he turns into. These are the kind of players that he's going to be drafting that he's going to have to sit on for two, three years to see if they emerge. And if you keep selling high when they flash, I, I don't know if you can package him with something, especially on Sam's team, to get a player that will be better. I mean, he'd have to package draft picks with him to get something. Fair enough. So I, I like the piece, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell high. I'd keep him. It's like a John Brown. I love John Brown. Is John Brown a world beater? No. Is John Brown good? Yeah. D.D. Westbrook. Is he, or let's take you, Nick. Jameson Crowder. After week one, he put up 20-some points. Mm-hmm. He sucked without Darnold. Darnold comes back, he gets 15. That piece will help you win leagues. You have some great players. Amari Cooper has been otherworldly, minus his hamstring. But he's known to have bad weeks. You need that consistent player that's going to get the targets. And Auden Tate could be that. He is, I won't say A.J. Green light, because A.J. Green is a physical freak, but he could be A.J. Green in that offense. Well, he is, as long as A.J. Green's out, so I'll give you that. Um, all right, well, I mean, I guess, but fair point. He does need the talent at some point, and maybe Tate is that guy. I think, you know, to piggyback off your point, if a contender wants a wide receiver, I'd be calling Sam for Auden Tate and, you know, seeing what I could get him for. It seems like a player that will produce this year, and I don't know, his future could be murky. That be the only reason I would maybe look towards selling potentially. Oh yeah, I mean, seventh round picks don't usually pan out, so if you can certainly, but you need some role players as yeah. basketball to win games and win leagues. Mm-hmm. So that, I guess those four or five, including MBS, is his short-term outlook. I don't see anything I mean, else in his short-term deal. I would say Mark Walton, he might be a thing. I don't know about the whole Dolphins offense. Um, Kalen Ballage and Kenyon Drake. I don't know what Brian Flores and Miami are doing down there, but they just seem to be living their best life. Maybe he could be a thing this year. Yeah, Debo but... Samuel and Hakeem Butler, maybe not this year, but long term, there's certainly someone to like or, you know, you, you got to hang on to. All right. I'm going to jump in, though, on the Mark Walton. He got cut okay. from the Bengals, who are 0 5. They cut him due to legal issues. Okay, that raises another story. issue then. It does, it does. But I mean, the, he, my point is, he was cut because of a headache. He was a third-string running back. The Dolphins are a team that are essentially tanking in the NFL. Rolled the dice on a very talented player. Mark Walton was highly recruited and 
he was someone that the dynasty community kind of liked coming out of college, but obviously so far he just hasn't had that opportunity. Now I don't know if it's going to continue in Miami, and he obviously is a huge risk, but he's. I'm just saying he's maybe something. That's it. As a contender, would you trade for a Mark Walton? I mean, I would maybe fuck around with it for a fourth-round draft pick, if I'm being honest. Yeah, for a fourth-round draft pick. So, I he's dead to me. Fourth-round pick, I love him thrown in because you can package him in deals, but would so you would actively you... seek him? I wouldn't. My, rost- my running back roster is gutted, and I want nothing to do with him. All right. So, that's his short term. Yep. We'll go long term. He has six 2020 firsts. He has three 2020 seconds. His first, though? He also has the third, or his third pick. So, it's, he's basically three got... One. Okay. He's got 10 picks in the top 25 right now. Okay. However, his firsts, he's got a lot of competing teams' firsts. As it stands, he's got maybe... As it stands today, he's got three with Sauce. I think most of us feel comfortable with Sauce's roster. I, I think one of us had one of us had him not making the playoffs. So, yep. in theory, he's got two top six picks and then three, potentially four, most likely four bottom six picks. Yeah. You're not going to get your Kyler Murray. You're not going to get that stalwart quarterback to build around, unless he gets him with one of his top picks, which he could. But then you're not filling. The other needs, so... I mean, to counter off that, you know, not all draft picks are created, or not all drafts are created equal. This year, obviously, there was one quarterback, Kyler Murray, and then two others that, at least on paper, people weren't quite as high on. I think we would all agree with that. Yeah, but you Um, could say it this year, too. Look at how it's gone. You have Tua. Herbert looks bad. but, But my point is... Fromm looks bad. I, my point is, we don't. Let's wait to see how quarterbacks shake out because quarterbacks are something that continues to be one that I think anyone but the NFL doesn't, or the media doesn't scout them as well as the NFL does. Oh, for sure. Like or they don't agree with. Right. So my point is, though, look at the 2017, or excuse me, 2018 rookie draft. Look at your super flex results. Sam Darnold, which you, I feel like, love more than Courtney at times. Half kidding. Went like ninth, I think, in one of our rookie drafts. So, I mean, quarterbacks do fall, especially, you know, that draft was maybe an anonymously, but I know a lot of people like quarterbacks in this coming class. I mean, five quarterbacks are apparently rumored to potentially go in the first round of next year's draft, and that would be very similar to 2018. And there were, I think, consensus, consensus five rookies in the super flex league's first round pick. So quarterbacks could fall, but sorry, that was a long segue. So I had the privy piece today where I sat back and watched 45 different text messages come in for two hours between these two debating part of this topic, and I kept my mouth shut because I thought it was absolutely fucking hilarious to watch all this come through, and it made me extremely uncomfortable at times. Um, Here's where I look at this is Sam's roster is atrocious, and I think that's the nice way of saying it. Um, Wentz is the only worthwhile quarterback existing on that roster. There's not a single running back that – absolutely worthwhile unless um, Matt Breda goes down and then Jeff Wilson's the touchdown stealer of the world. Chris Godwin is is uh, 
there's seven wide receivers that currently have over 100 fantasy points. The eighth wide receiver is his teammate, Mike Evans. This kid's a stud. This kid's only going to get better with time as he begins to develop. And his tight ends, uh, yeah, we can pass on that, that piece as well. There's not a lot of additional pieces that go into part of this. When you There's easily, I mean, he's got 10 draft picks coming into next year. There's more than 10 droppable players on his roster. This is the start to something good. Um, I think Sam took the initiative to say, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to suck for the next three years. So we appreciate your donation into the league. But this is going to begin to turn around in his favors, and you're going to watch him go from – you know, finishing dead last this year to finishing third or fourth from the last next year to being maybe in year three of borderline, I'm going to make the playoffs piece to it. I, I think he's doing it the right way. But at the same point in time, draft picks are a dime a dozen. You know, Daniel Jones went 11th overall, so there's not saying that he's not going to get the quarterback that he needs to at that those pieces. He gets to between him and Zane, they can manipulate who ends up with what in the draft and can charge the arm and a leg for it. And I, I, Yes, I think it's a good way to do it. He's really taking the ownership that a lot of people wouldn't want to take as part of this. Um, short term, it's ugly, but give the man three or four years, and I think this, this is a game-changing experience where he becomes that well-written playoff team. I think it can pay off if he treats draft picks as currency. I'll go through some stats I did because, as you said, Nick and I were pretty much debating this almost all day. So you look at draft picks. I think the one big thing that maybe the three of us can agree on is trying to get elite running back talent and elite quarterback talent through a trade is going to be next to impossible. Is that a decent point? Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, quarterbacks definitely. is. I think everyone in the league is beginning to see they are worth their weight in gold yep, and I, I very difficult to acquire and running backs i mean you have the god tier which is christian mccaffrey ezekiel elliott alvin Kamara, and um saquon barkley and i don't think either of those four teams would you know consider any offers for those guys there's a lot of teams that i wouldn't even trade their entire roster for Exactly. So those are two positions that I feel like if you're going to get a Barkley-esque talent or a Mahomes-esque talent, you're only getting them by hitting on your draft pick. So Sam getting those early draft picks is huge. He can hit on those. But those four, potentially three later round firsts, those are currency. You're going to need, at least in my opinion, if I were him, this is how I'd attack it. I'd go running back, quarterback, shore them up through the draft, use my picks to get running back or to get wide receivers, tight ends. So I did a little breakdown because I was bored over my lunch hour. Um, since 2010, there has been 69 wide receivers taken in the first and second round of the NFL draft. 43 of them, 43% rather, 30 of them, I consider to be wide receiver to wide receiver three or flex worthy. So 43%, you're looking at less than a half percentage, half 50-50 shot, less than 50-50 shot to hit on a wide receiver that would actually break your starting lineup. Now, to get a wide receiver that I consider building my team around, to be a wide receiver one, you're looking at, I had 12.5 to 11. So Allen Robinson and Landry, they've shown those the talent. They can be a wide receiver one. They're not in great situations, either a shitty quarterback or 
have an otherworldly talent in front of them. So they kind of got to the wayside. And then I also, in that math, I had Des Bryant, who retired. So he was a wide receiver one when he played, yes. Same with Demarius Thomas. He kind of had a short peak, but he was a wide receiver one. And you're looking at a shade over, or shade under 20% chance, so a one in five chance that a top first and second round wide receiver hits. The odds aren't great to hit on wide receivers. Those are pieces that you can do draft picks for. You use draft picks as currency, you can get that. Tight end is even worse. I think two tight ends taken in the first round are actually relevant in Ingram and Najoku. I don't even know if Joku was a first. Because Hayden Hurst sucks. It doesn't suck, but Mark Andrews is better and he's a third round. Aaron Hernandez, I think, was a third or second round. And Gronk was a third or fourth and was better. So the tight ends are a lot harder than even wide receivers. And that success rate's below 20%. So if you think you're going to build your team through the draft or your wide receiver core through the draft, you better get ready to hit your head against the wall. There's a lot of Kevin Whites and Lacan Treadwells out there that are going to fuck you up. So the way I look at Sam's team, he's got those two top six picks he can get, his quarterback, running back, in decent shape. The, sh- the bad part is he, if he gets a running back, that's his only starting running back. So 2020 is not looking great. 2021, I think we start seeing Sam take that big leap. He's got six first rounds there as well. I'm not even going to try to predict where those will go because – Every year is so vastly different. And my biggest thing I can say to him, and take it with a grain of salt, I could be a 1,000% off base, but you draft your running back quarterback, you trade those picks for wide receivers, tight ends. I would not go rebuild my wide receiver or tight end core through the draft. So that, I guess, is my outlook. Anyone have an avid decision against me that would like to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a sound strategy to building around quarterbacks and running backs in the rookie draft, just because, like you said, they're very, they're easier to forecast and project and, you know, see immediate results for. And wide receivers and definitely tight ends take a little bit more to develop. I mean, I think, but at the same time, too, if a wide receiver is theoretically the best player on the board, I don't know if you can necessarily pass him up. I mean, I know everyone loves. Jerry Judy out of Alabama. He's been getting like amazing hype, like best prospect in the draft hype. Now we'll see how some of these prospects hold up under a microscope for the next six months because the media likes to embellish things. Who would have guessed it, but it happens. So we'll see. But I mean, if Jerry Judy is like the best prospect, you know, come May 1st or whenever our rookie draft starts, I mean, you might have to take him. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, Sam has he's made a lot of trades, and he's gotten lucky in the sense that all the players he's traded, except for DeAndre Hopkins, even though he's disappointed, and Tom Brady has, like, completely fallen off a cliff. So he's, he's Neo in the sense that he continues to dodge these bullets. The Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, neither of them have played, like, more than... 40 snaps in the NFL this year. Um, But he's got all those draft picks. And yes, all of them cannot be picked just one for one, like a rookie draft pick. 
He does have to trade some of them. He's got to turn those into players. But we saw last year for our 2019 rookie draft, I mean, Zane was very aggressive, moving back, acquiring more picks, blah, 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 blah. Rookie fever is going to be a thing, and Sam is going to have all the cards on the table for the next two years. And he's got to use that to his advantage, whether that's for, you know, just being plain and boring, taking rookies, fine, or, you know, leveraging those in trades. And those are too hard to forecast, you know. People will fall in love with prospects, and someone will do a stupid trade, probably. So he's just got to be willing to make those leaps and calculated risks and, you know, not be too obsessed with a particular rookie because sometimes trading them for a proven player might be a better outcome. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. If if that wide receiver is the absolute stud, you look at a Calvin Johnson, you look at a Julio Jones, going into their drafts, we all knew who they were. Teams, and at least in the Falcons situation, traded up even though they had a stud wide receiver. So that talent, there's some people that are just predictable. Saquon Bark, we all knew what he was going to be. You could say the same thing about Trent Richardson, I guess. We kind of knew what he was going to be, but there's some talents that you see and you're just like, he's going to ascend. He's going to be a stud. And those you can't pass. I get that. But you, in my eyes, you also can't walk away with all those picks with 10 rookies. I think that would be horrific, especially because wide receivers and tight ends take so long. Adams didn't break out till his third or fourth year. How many people on a competitive roster is going to keep a floundering rookie pick they had that long when they're trying to compete? I mean, me and you co-owned a team in another franchise. We dropped Adams because we were trying to compete and we didn't have the spots. It is very difficult to hold on to those picks for them to blow up. And that, I guess you can go to the analogy. I came up with this thing when I was talking with you. The car sales analogy. His picks are all cars on the lot. The second they get taken off the lot for a player, their value's cut in half about 50% of the time. Yep. It, you have to make do with what you got, and he's got a lot of currency to start buying things that, like you said, people get rookie fever and they're going to want in. So he needs to leverage it, and I think if he leverages it right, does some savvy moves... We could see the emergence of Sam in 2021. We absolutely could. I mean, at this point, the only thing they're certain is he's probably going to get another top 20 asset with the first overall pick when the rookie draft rolls around, whether that's Jerry Judy's, Jonathan Taylor, uh, Swift, Tua, one of those guys, someone else maybe, is going to be probably considered a borderline round two startup in Dynasty. And then, you know, if the, if it ended today, right now Sam would actually have four draft picks in the top six since Zane, Kevin, and Steve are technically out. I don't think that's going to hold true when the season wraps up, but hey, Sam can dream that that's going to be a reality. Um, so yeah, I mean, Dan, any last minute things you want to add before we move on? I know this has been a little bit of a longer podcast so far. No, I mean, I think you guys hit a lot of it there. There's a lot of good points that continue to come across it. It's just going to depend on how this future pulls out and what additional magic tricks Sam has up his sleeve to 
to, to make all the right moves because so far, like you said, he's, he's dumped the grenades and, you know, acquired the, the bullets. So we'll see what happens. That we certainly will. Um, well, let's wrap this podcast up where we look at the matchups for the upcoming week. And the first one on the docket is going to be uh, Cold Steel and Sunshine versus American Psycho, Sam Ware himself. Anyone want the honor of breaking this one, this riveting matchup up? Yeah, I, I like Cold Steel and Sunshine. Garoppolo and Jackson have some favorable matchups to go there, and um, I just don't like Sam's team. Yep, I'm going to say it now. Anyone who plays Sam, I don't do a write-up for. My notes literally say, sorry, anyone playing Sam doesn't get broken down. I pick Cold Steel. Yeah, assuming Cold Steel sets his lineup, he's my pick pretty handedly. Sam shouldn't win a game this year, but he somehow is too, so who knows. The second matchup should be a little more riveting as both teams want to win. Uh, tearing up the ACL, Kevin, with maybe the return of Saquon Barkley, versus three blind mice in Jer's team. Yeah, if Saquon Barkley comes back against the Cardinals' defense, that could be a 100-point <laughs> game, legitimately. Um as we've brushed over this entire podcast, I love Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold plays the Patriots. I do not love Sam Darnold versus the Patriots. <laughs> um, and then you go three blind mice. He's made his moves towards a rebuild. It's going to be tough sledding for him going forward, but I like where he's headed, and where he's headed is not towards a win this week. Yeah, I would agree with that. Whether Saquon plays or not, I'm going to take Kevin this week yeah I like I like Kevin as well um it's a it's hard to bet against Saquon Barkley but it's like Ezekiel Elliott's playing in prime time and he always has the ability to show up during prime time is Calvin Ridley even going to put up points this week becomes the additional question but then again there's Willie Sneed sitting on the other side you can ask the exact same question about that and Calvin Ridley just plays on a more explosive offense I I like Kevin in this matchup all right, um, let's move on to Franchise 12 versus Under Construction. Adam and Sean matching up. Uh, this, is a, this is a fun one, I think. Uh, I'll take Franchise 12. I think Mahomes has this rebound week. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. Um, I think the big question mark ultimately becomes is what is Austin Eckler's role going forward in this in this offense? But at the same point in time, TJ Yeldon's being started on the other side. Um, I hope that gets changed personally, but this Tyler Higby's not going to be as, as dynamic as he needs to be out of the wide receiver position, and Sammy Watkins, I believe, is still dead, so I, I'm going to take Franchise 12. Yeah, I have Sam Franchise 12 winning it with a slight edge, merely because I think the pit offense is god-awful, and you got a lot of pit players there. And, and they're all on buy. And they're all on buy, so that doesn't even help. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean, he's got a lot of pit players. So he's got to go in there. Looks like he's got to go with Corey Davis. Corey Davis has a new quarterback, which, surprise, surprise, Sean has. So, I just, that Tennessee offense I don't like to rely on. You give the edge to franchise 12 purely based on Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Chris Carson. That gives the edge in my book but it, it's going to be closer than we think, I, I feel, just because 
a lot of underperforming, and Mahomes with a bad ankle. One would say his Achilles Achilles heel, the weakness. He looks mortal. I don't know what I like have seen from the last two weeks, but he is human. So slight edge to franchise 12, but it, it's going to be a close one. Yeah, I'm going to give the advantage to franchise 12 as well. I think the only thing to watch for from Sean's perspective is that if Devontae Adams does return this week, I think Aaron Rodgers might throw him the ball 30 times just out of relief that he is a competent wide receiver playing with him. So, you know, Devontae Adams could go for 60 points this week. Can't really rule it out. But outside of that, I think Franchise 12 will take this one home. All right, now I think we get to the juicy matchups on the week. And the first one, um, two playoff hopefuls, Flash Gordon versus Z. Stefan versus Zane. Yeah, this one, I have the slight edge to Flash. Um, Tariq is back in a big way. Last week was a hell of a homecoming for him. The problem he's running into is a lot of his Los Angeles Rams pieces just do not look good. However, if there was a get-right game, there, if there was a get-right game, you're going against the Falcons' defense, who is 20th against the run and 26th against the pass. Zane doesn't have favorable matchups either, so you have to lean Flash Gordon with this, just based on the matchups he's getting. Yeah, that was the piece I was gonna make. Is, is you gotta like the fact that you're playing a sponge in the in the Falcons' defense, who lets everything run through it and flow through it at, at will. There. Um, you know, again, Ertz is playing in prime time in in the Sunday night game. Tyreek Hill is going to be fun to, to watch. My big question is, is is this a week where we see David Montgomery or Miles Sanders, two rookie running backs, show their show their glory and why they were picked as high as they were? I don't think we have see it happen, but if those two can find their stride, I think those matchups get super close, but I'll take Stefan. Yeah. I'm actually going to go against the grain and take Zane for a couple reasons. I just really, really, really like his matchups this week. I think Aaron Rodgers against Oakland, I just expect expect Devontae Adams to get back. I feel like Rodgers always plays good against Cali teams. Um, Frank Gore against Miami, I feel like that's just asking for a Frank Gore blow-up game. Um, same thing, Miles Sanders. I think this Dallas woos are going to continue. DeAndre Hopkins can't be this mediocre, and I think they're going to get right. But the biggest, most exciting one I'm excited for, excited for would be Evan Ingram against the Cardinals. That is just the recipe for a breakout game. Well, it's not like Evan Ingram needs a breakout game, but they are just awful against the tight end. So I think Evan Ingram's going to have a huge week, like maybe close to 30 points. And... You know, I'm just, I'm going to go against the grain and take Zane. It's my upset of the week. All right. The second to last matchup, and this one's extremely juicy, would be Sauce versus Captain Mayfield. Nick Ruth versus Steve. This this should be a hell of a fucking matchup. Um, I think this comes down to two players. I want to see what Le'Veon Bell does and how Bill Belichick is going to take him out of the game. And I want to see if Keenan Allen understands how to catch a ball again. Um, I think those two guys are going to determine what it is. I'm going to lean Captain Mayfield uh, in this matchup overall, though. Yeah, I'm. Nick probably doesn't want to hear it, but I'm going to lean Captain Mayfield too, if only because I'm, you know, Obviously, I'm sure everyone that's heard the podcast saw the big news. 
with Jalen Ramsey getting traded to the Los Angeles Rams. I'm very curious to see how he'll be implemented this week. And if he does play, I mean, that's going to be not ideal for Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. Um, just very curious to see how that plays out because that could be a huge game changer. Um, but then, I mean, DJ, I mean, for Nick's team, I just think, actually, looking at it more, I changed my mind. I'm going with Sauce. I like his matchups more. David Johnson against the Giants. DJ Chark against Cincinnati. Um, George Kittle against the Redskins. Mike Williams has gotten like 25 targets the last two weeks. Even though it's a tough matchup, I mean, Phillip Rivers is clearly throwing shit against the wall and Mike Williams is catching like a quarter of them. So give me the old switcheroo and give me sauce this week. I do have the slight edge to sauce. I'm going to put that bad juju on him. It worked last week, so I'm going to ride it. I think I have the favorable quarterback matchups. Both teams are in the bottom half of the league and points given up to the quarterback. I think it comes down to wide receivers. Um, Can mine put up 100-plus again? I mean, Steve and I were within .8 this week. So it's a toss-up, but like you said, with some of the matchups, especially his running back matchups, are so juicy. I give the slight edge to Sauce. All right. Well, this brings us to the matchup of the week. The two leaders in each division, Island of Misfit Toys versus my eyes. The goggles do nothing. Dan Weber versus yours truly, Nick Weir. Since you two are in it, I'll start it. Nick, you are the luckiest SOB in the league. McCaffrey (laughs) is on a bye. The guy got 57 scrimmage yards last week and was wide receiver or running back eight. But you're going against Josh Allen, who faces Miami. It's not great. He could go Lamar Miller or Lamar and go Lamar Jackson and go 170 on the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's in the realm of possibility. You also don't have the best matchups, but they're not terrible. You're you're kind of in that low bottom half or low top half matchups for much all your positions and i i'm gonna ask you does kyler start this week because that is one of the juiciest matchups i've seen you know i really want to play kyler murray like i really 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 do but deshaun and russell are just in a fucking zone i can't interrupt that and In my notes, one of the key points I had was, if Kyler plays, I like you. (laughs) You're not playing Kyler. However, this week comes entirely down to who you're playing at wide receiver, tight end combo. You have to make the perfect choice or you're fucked. I'm going to give you the slight edge, but those start sits determine the week 100%. Dan's kind of painted in the corner with his buys. His start sits aren't nearly as difficult as yours. So if you make the right picks, you, obviously. But if you pick wrong, obviously, you're going to lose. So I have it as a toss-up with a slight edge to you. I'll jump in, Webbs. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm very lucky that I'm not playing Christian McCaffrey. But at the same time, I'm down James Conner, and he's been kind of on a roll these last few weeks. So maybe it's not that quite of a huge chasm for the kids at home. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is Amari Cooper. If Amari Cooper doesn't play, 
that is not only a huge loss for me, but it's also a huge gain for Dan, who well is Michael Gallup on the other side of the field, or other side of the yeah field. Um, so that that honestly, I think is really just the matchup decider. If Amari Cooper plays, I'll give myself the edge. But if he doesn't, I think Dan wins this game. I think it's really that simple. Yeah, I, I, I think the the piece too. I think there's a couple decisions that I look have to make on on mine is. Do I start a Royce Freeman over a Gerald Everett, understanding that the Rams are going up against this porous Falcons defense? Um, but the Royce Freeman Philip Lindsay backfield has been has been well shared, and it makes me a little nervous about which one of the coins do I flip. But I, I agree. I think this comes straight down to our wide receivers. If Amari Cooper does not play, Michael Gallup feeds, and that really helps my case. Um, I, I, I'll put the bad juju on you. I'll give it to you that way. But I will tell you this. If Josh Allen breaks 75 yards rushing um, and hopefully throws for more than 300 yards for the first time in his career, I think I think that I get the, the edge of it that way. But um, we'll, I've got until Thursday to figure out what the if I want to start Royce Freeman or if I want to start Gerald Everett so in this place. I'm going to throw another name in your mix. Cole Beasley. Cole oh, Beasley. And the crazy part is, is he's been one of Josh Allen's favorite targets. When exactly. He, actually, what he puts up. That way, I'm clicking on his name right now. 5 for 40, 4 for 83, 8 for 48, 7 for 75, and 3 for 21 last, uh, that, yeah, when, yeah, that last week. So he's had uh, two games with more than 10 targets. Yeah, that's And he's going against the Dolphins. Yeah, I know, but if you blow the Dolphins out, do you just run the ball? I, I like Beasley. Beasley is basically running it through the air. I think that's a piece you should consider. I, I absolutely hear you. And it's I have. Going to it. I have another name to maybe consider. What do you got? What about the legend of this podcast, Tajay Sharp? Great football player, worthy of a trade edition. Yep, in bench the Allen for in the super flex and put in Tajay Sharp. I think it's a phenomenal move. I, I agree. Have you heard of this Uzoma guy? <laughs> no. No, I haven't. All right, we're getting off topic. We are done for the week. It is a longer podcast, but thanks for tagging along. Oh, Keep these trades rolling, fellas, because it makes the league exciting and gets the people going. It's provocative. I want to I do one more, one more small section. It's called dance, uh-huh. dance fact-checking section. Oh, let's um, hear it. Auden Tate, 6'5", 230, not 250 or 280. He's not a lineman. The Bengals, Thanks, Tapway. The Bengals are actually 0-6. Yep, that was a trivia question. Two defeated teams in the league. All right, glad we have you fact-checking. It was a longer podcast, went great. Go Nationals, we're in the World Series. Adios, good luck.